This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So, pros and cons to some debt solutions. Mm -hmm. I kind of like the idea that there are some solutions like S, Mm -hmm. more than one. Yeah, exactly. Because a lot of people, when they come in my door, they think... I'm out of options. I got nothing. They just don't know the suite of things that are out there. And that's how it feels, right? Mm-hmm. I'm done. I don't know what to do. Yeah. I've tried everything or I've tried nothing. I'm just paralyzed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in most situations, you know, what I'm excited about today, Elaine, too, is we're going to go into good depth. So uh, we're going to do two separate segments, be broken up a little bit by a commercial break here. But we're going to go through the top five options people have when they find themselves in debt. And they're not the only five options, but they're definitely five um, that are out there that I see people use, you know, the varying degrees of success. So the idea of if someone's listening, whether it's for themselves or for somebody else, most people have more options than they know about. And keep in mind, as we go on a lot on this show, we talk about, you know, people have different objectives and the people that you owe money to, it's not their objective to make sure that you're informed of all of your options that might be great for you and worse for them. So if you're waiting for a bank to tell you all the wonderful ways you can restructure your debts, you're going to keep waiting. Right. If you're waiting for a vehicle financer to tell you, hey, seize or sue and these different provisions could apply, you're going to be waiting a long time. So right. you've really got to educate yourself. Yeah. And I think I think it's really important to what you said about different situations. Uh, your age can mm-hmm. be the, the variable. Um, how you got into debt can be the variable. And that would then lead to different solutions for, let's say, those two different groups. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, good. So... Um, do you want to start? So you guys, you're helping people, mm-hmm. individuals and businesses all the time. Yeah. And people come into us and it's typically, it's a situation where they know they're in debt and sometimes it's so dire, they know that they'll never be able to pay it off in full. Um, sometimes it's not that dire. So the first of the five options that we're going to talk about today is just really logical. Let's just put it out there. Uh, but you know, one option, if you find yourself in debt is just to kind of figure out how are you going to pay the debt off in full? So I think that... Could I say that that's the first thing that people think of? Exactly. That's what most people want to do. People are honorable. I don't meet anybody that just goes into debt willy-nilly and doesn't think that they've got an obligation to pay it off. Right. So how to pay it off in full. Mm -hmm. Is that even possible for some folks? Yeah, it all depends on, you know, the magnitude of the debt and their income. So what's really key there when we sit down with somebody, one of the first places that we start is to build a budget. Okay. And if we're able to build a budget and we're able to see the person can afford to, you know, support themselves, put a roof over their head, pay for the kids or whatever, and if there's still a meaningful amount of money left over for debt repayment, um, you know, that can be a good starting point to say, well, can we approach the lenders and can we see, you know, maybe will they agree to a reduced interest rate? So you would help me come to that decision when I come and see you yeah. to say, look, this is my situation. What do I do? Could I pay it off in full? Mm-hmm. And if it's a, a smallish debt, you know, let's say it's it's a few thousand dollars, less than $10,000 and you're earning reasonable uh, amounts of income, it might be just the case. You need somebody to help you to sit down with your budget, to look at all the inflows and outflows and where we find people really kind of lose some, you know, the drainage through the budget type of thing is on those annual expenses, things that you don't plan for. Um, you know, you're going to take a vacation, but if you don't save for that every single month, you're 
your budget's blown for that month when you go on to, on a vacation. That's so a there's point. a bunch of best practices that if you put into into force, um, you might still be able to pay the debt off in full, even if it looks like there's not much room in your budget. Okay. So what's the second what's the second well, good news so, about that? So the the pros there um, again is that you're not going to need much outside help, right? And it's typically not going to impact your credit rating. Um, now, if you negotiate reduced interest rates, sometimes that can impact your credit rating, but. And- and is that possible for me to do as an individual? It's possible, but the likelihood of success is very low. Okay. Um, it's something that we encourage people to try, but the amount of people that say, yeah, I talked to my bank and the only thing they can offer me is more credit at the same rate. Well, that's <laughs> really not going to solve the problem here. That may sound like a good idea, but it's not. No, that's that's the tool that's in their toolbox is, hey, here's more of what got you into trouble. Let's, right. let's see if that, that changes things. Um, so let's look at what's the sort of the bad news about that idea. Yeah. The negative of it is that just most people can't afford it. Um, so most people that I see anyway, as soon as your debts go beyond, you know, call it five to seven to $8,000 or so, um, compound interest kicks in and that mm-hmm. 20% interest per month or per year, um, you know, your monthly interest costs, it's often up to 90% of what you're paying is going just towards the interest cost. Maybe right. 10% of what you're paying is drawing down the balance. So uh, we've done some math on this show before, Elaine, and I know a $6,000 credit card debt, if it was on one of these, you know, uh, various retail cards where the interest rates are pretty high at 29%, not five years, not six years to pay it off, 53 years to wow. pay something off at just the minimum payments. So when we say this as a paying off the debt in full, what we're not saying is just pay these minimum payments for the next 50 years. We're Ex- saying if you can get it cleared within the next few years, even inside of a year, then it can be a great option. Now, the other thing I want to point out that you that you said is part of your sentence is that the department store interest rate, mm-hmm. that's almost 10 points higher than yeah. what a bank credit card interest rate is. Mm -hmm. And I... you know, I often forget that. Oh, yeah. It's never carry a balance on a department store card. It's, it's just, it's a crazy, it's the most expensive credit cards that are out there. See, I think that's worth reminding, it was a good reminder for me. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, anything else on paying the debt off in full? No. So I think first of our five options is if you're able to really sort out the budget, create some space, then that's a great thing to do. Um, you know, second to talk about, and this is usually, this is the first thing that people come to their mind. If they can't pay the debt off in full, then they figure, okay, it's the interest that's killing me. So let's approach the bank and let's get a consolidation loan. See, that makes good sense to me because mm-hmm. you're putting all your debts together, but you're not necessarily adding up all the interest rates of each of those debts either, mm-hmm. right? So there yeah. should just be one. Yeah, the idea is it's simpler. So you've got one payment that you have to make. It's due on one single date, no, jolt of, no juggling multiple days or multiple amounts each month. And there should be some savings. You know, most consolidation loans, you'd save at least, um, you know, if a credit card interest rate is around 19%, you'd expect a consolidation loan to be in the range of 10 to 12%. So a pretty significant savings. Yeah, and and possibly doable, depending on your situation. Right. Now, bad news. So what are the cons of this as well? First off, it's one of these things that would be great, but very few people can actually qualify to consolidate their debts. Okay. And the reasons for that is there's an old expression of not throwing good money after bad. Right. And what that means from a bank's point of view is if you approach the bank and you say, I've got all these credit cards that I owe, um, I want you, bank, to loan me money. In order for the bank to do that, they're going to have to pay off all of your other credit cards. And they might say, well, if that debt's already stuff that you can't pay off, why would we, the new bank, put our money at risk there, that that's already something that you can't handle. So typically what a bank would do is they're happy to loan money, but they want some security. And that can take the form of two things. One is they could ask for some security on a house or on an investment that you might have, um, you know, making sure if you don't pay off this consolidation loan, they can go and put a charge against some asset that you have so that they're covered. It's like a lien almost, Exactly, a lien. That's exactly what it is. They want an asset that you will pledge. Um, the second thing, and this can be even more dangerous and definitely more emotional, is they can require you to get a co-signer. 
So they'll agree to consolidate the debt for you, but they want someone else to sign on the dotted line. And the way that works in Canada is it's joint and several liability. So it means if you're unable to pay this co-signed debt, the person who's co-signed for it can be liable for 100% of the debt, not 50-50. And that's really important to remember, not because somebody doesn't want to help you, because Mm -hmm. you probably do have people in your life that would more than be more than happy to step up and help yeah. but the risk that they then take on is enormous. Yeah, what you've done at that point is, you know, a couple things. You've enlarged the problems. Now you've got, you know, a social aspect to it, someone that you don't want to let down, someone important enough in your life that they were willing to take a risk on you. So that can be really tough. But then you've also guaranteed essentially that you can't restructure that debt without hurting the other person. So if you do a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy, which we're going to talk about probably in in the next segment on here, um, but anything you do, it's going to protect you and your liability. But the person that has co signed, the bank is going to come to that person for 100% of the debt. So it removes any ability we would have to really get the debt down to something manageable. For you, yes, but the co-signer would still be on the hook for 100 cents in the dollar, which usually means that the co-signer is going to come back to you, the individual who borrowed and said, I understand you're doing a proposal or a bankruptcy, but hey, if it's mom or dad or brother or sister, these relationships tend to last your whole life and probably they're going to want to be paid. Yeah, exactly. Very, very sticky. And the other piece that you mentioned is that critical to stop using credit while you're paying down a consolidation loan. Mm-hmm. And that's a and that's a good point. Yeah, and this I see again and again because sometimes we get the consolidation loan and then we just breathe a big sigh of relief. Okay, things are manageable now. But then what happens is we've paid off all of the cards, they're all at zero. And sometimes that can be just too tempting. So whether an emergency happens or there's some overspending on a monthly basis, um, those cards can very quickly get back to their original balances. And then you've got the same debt problem plus this other consolidation loan that you're you're paying. So if you consolidate, but you don't actually change the underlying behavior, you really haven't solved anything. All you've done is kick the can down the road. You're going to have to deal with that problem again once the cards go back up. Now, I know that we didn't include this in the notes in this segment, but the thing that Sands & Associates it's offers when you go in to say, look, this is my situation, I need some help with it, is that counseling part Mm -hmm. that you help them figure out, help the person figure out how they got into this pickle in the first place, and then really practical ways of not letting that happen again. You've summarized it perfectly, Elaine. Anybody that does either a personal bankruptcy or a consumer proposal, the government requires they come for two counseling sessions, and they're focused exactly on understanding what got you to this point, or the budgetary, non-budgetary causes, Sometimes there can be addictions, gambling, and things like that. We'll yep. try to connect you with the right resources. And then our second session is all about life after the proceeding. How do you rebuild credit? How do you make sure you're going to have good financial habits? And this is a one-stop shop. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to mention that. Yeah. Um, now, the last piece in this segment, using credit counseling services. And I, I'll i never forget the first time you told me the mm-hmm. key thing about, for me, this credit counseling services is the fact that they're often um, sponsored, put together, funded, founded by banks. Yeah, I'm as all of our listeners won't be surprised to say I'm no fan of credit counseling mm-hmm. services because I don't believe that the communications are essentially honest at the end of the day. Um, you know, registered not-for-profit charity is one thing, but to not also say, by the way, we're registered as a collection agency when in provinces across Canada, I don't think that's giving the right message to consumers. I think they're coming in thinking that it's someone that's out for their best objectives, but sometimes it can be a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah. So I encourage anybody if they're 
reaching out to credit counselors to at least also have a conversation with a licensed insolvency trustee. But what can a credit counselor do for you? Well, a credit counselor can try to put all of your debts together, and because they're funded by the banks, all of the big banks will generally agree to an interest freeze if you're working with a credit counselor. So it can be better than consolidation in that you're not paying any interest at all, but you're still required to pay the debt back in full, um, and you do still have a credit rating impact. So it's the same impact as we're going to talk about a proposal later where you actually reduce the debt just by saving on the interest by going through a credit counseling plan. Um, your credit rating still takes the same type of a hit. Got it. Now, let's let's go right to the bad news or the things that you really need to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Uh, government creditors, That's like huge. Canada Revenue, yeah. will refuse to participate in all for-profit and non-profit credit counseling programs. Yep. doesn't matter, not-for-profit charity, whatever. If you are a credit counselor, you cannot do a thing with tax debt or with student loans. So if you're working with a counselor and they say, well, we're going to help you with the other debt, but gee, you've got student loan and tax debt, you need to get help for the whole situation. And licensed insolvency trustees are the only people people that can negotiate firm deals or agreements mm-hmm. with CRA. That's exactly right. Okay. Yeah, we're the only folks that can reduce tax debt. So I'd encourage people, I know we're winding down on time for this segment, but to consider a credit counselor like a collection agent and use your, you know, have your risk antenna up. They might have a good option for you, but quite often there's better options out there. For more information, uh, go to the website sans-trustee.com or better yet, give them a call 1-800-661-3030 uh, to get that free consultation and to find an office near you. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin along with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. We're talking about debt solutions uh, for folks that find themselves in situations. We've talked about in the first segment paying the debt off in full, getting a bank consolidation loan, and uh, using credit counseling services. Mm -hmm. So next is making a consumer proposal. Yeah. So we talked in the first segment, kind of a two-part series. We're going to say the top five things people can do, and it's not intentional, but we think the two best options are actually things that I can help you with as a licensed insolvency trustee. I so, think it's okay that you say yeah, that. Yeah, maybe it is intentional. It's our show. We're allowed <laughs> exactly. to, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I do passionately, obviously, believe in, in what we do here and the yeah. number of folks that are just amazed that this stuff even exists. So I think the more and more we can tell people about these options, the better. Um, so yeah, so the fourth solution we're going to talk about um, is what's called making a consumer proposal. Any of our our long-time listeners will know well what a consumer proposal is, but let's make sure that we lay the right groundwork Absolutely. here. So what a consumer proposal is, is it's meant to be a win-win situation to get you out of debt. So the win to the individual is that they don't have to file for bankruptcy. It's an alternative to bankruptcy. It's a little less severe, and we'll talk about all of that. Um, the win to the creditors, the people that are owed money, is if that person chooses to file for bankruptcy, they're probably going to get back pennies on the dollar, maybe nothing, maybe 5 or 10% of the debt. In a consumer proposal, you offer them some something more than what would be recovered in bankruptcy. So typically a consumer proposal, you take whatever the debt is, you offer somewhere in the range of 20 to 40% of the total amount owing, you pay no further interest, there's no additional charges, and you pay off that reduced amount over a period of up to five years of payments. And I just want to throw in that going to see you, Sands and Associates, uh, you're going to help me figure out the best route to take, Mm -hmm. whether it be making a consumer proposal, because that might work, or bankruptcy. 
exactly. might be the best answer. Yeah. So my job as a licensed insolvency trustee, there's only a thousand trustees in the country. We're all bound by a very strict code of ethics, standards of professional practices. Uh, and I have to be completely agnostic or indifferent into what choice a client makes. Uh, my job is to help you see all the facts, help you see all the different options that are out there, answer all your questions, help you analyze. But at the end of the day, it's your decision to help you move forward. So people feel a really good sense of ownership when they say, you know what? Yeah, I really want to do this proposal. It's my proposal as opposed to a solution that you come in. Hey, here's one solution that works for everybody. It doesn't. There, there could be situations where things are great in a proposal and other situations where a proposal just doesn't work. Okay. So let's talk about the other things that, that why a proposal works. Uh, mm-hmm. Legally, you it, it stops your creditors from contacting you for payment uh, mm-hmm. or continuing harassment or whatever. They That's can't huge. do it. Right. So the first three options that we talked about, they're all informal solutions. There's no legislation that governs anything around credit counseling, paying it off, or getting a consolidation loan. As soon as you file a consumer proposal, the federal government, federal law, steps in to protect you. So this means if you're getting 20 collection calls a day, those go to zero. If someone's at your door threatening to seize your assets, they can't do that anymore. If you've just been served with court documents, typically those come to a stop. You know, there's some exceptions for family proceedings, custody and that, but anything about payment of a debt, all of those types of proceedings, you know, the wolves at the door, everything has to take a break as soon as you file the proposal. And that can be just life-changing. People can finally breathe again, not dealing with 20 or 30 calls a day. And here's another reason why uh, you can start to breathe a little bit easier is when you come up with your plan, uh, there's flexible payment terms. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So what I love about a proposal is, again, in layman's terms, it takes all of your debt, consolidates it, reduces it down to what you can afford, and you get five years to pay it off. But we set a very low minimum. We just say, you know what, if you're offering a proposal of $6,000, you can pay that off at $100 a month over 60 months, but you can pay as much as you want. If you get a bonus at work, you get a tax refund, anything like that, you can make an extra payment on your proposal. And as soon as your trust account hits that, it's called a $6,000 proposal, you're finished. So the maximum term is five years, but many, many people end up finishing a proposal much more quickly because first off, there's no interest working against them. um, And then second off, they usually feel pretty proud, pretty accomplished when they're able to get this put behind them. Now, what do you get out of this? What do you get paid? Because you're mm-hmm. you're running this as a, a business. Yeah. How do you get paid? Yeah, the trustee gets paid out of what the person pays into a proposal. So just following the example that I was mentioning, so say someone comes in, they owe $20,000 of consumer debt, which is very typical. We offer a proposal for 30% of that debt, which is $6,000. Which okay. means that's all you're paying back is $6,000. All $6, they're going to pay back is $6,000, and that's what they can afford to pay back. The trustee gets paid out of that amount. So the creditors, we offer them about 30% as a gross, meaning that's what the person is going to pay in, and the government sets a tariff for trustee fees. So the person pays no upfront fees, they pay nothing beyond the $100 monthly payment, and the trustee gets a portion of that each month before it's distributed to creditors. In a ballpark term, it's about 20% of what's paid in. So if you're paying $100 on a proposal, roughly $80 of that goes directly to your creditors, roughly $20 of that would come for costs of administration. Okay, and that includes... uh setting this all up, mm-hmm. negotiating all the terms with That's all right. the debtors, as well as um, some counseling mm-hmm. uh, at the end of it or, or during it. Yeah, yeah two count- It's really during it too, Two counseling right? sessions, yeah. Yeah, every time I come in to see you, I'm sure there's a bit of counseling going on, <laughs> helping me figure this out and how to get through it. Um, also, I love the fact that you mentioned it can be paid off in full at any time without penalty. Mm-hmm. That's really cool because yeah. some people 
they're able to do that. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. You know, and it, what I love about my job, there's a lot of things I love, but one of them is just seeing that, you know, the change in people. When they come in, you know, when they're filing the proposal, the first time I meet them, and they're almost, you know, mistrustful or skeptical, this even exists. Why don't I know about this? And then to six or eight months later, where they're working more, they're getting bonuses, they're making extra payments on their proposal, they just feel that much more, that much stronger by the end of it. And, it, and we mentioned um, the rebuilding tools, money management, education, that's all part of the counseling that you get. Yeah. So what's the downside of a consumer proposal or a con of it? Well, the only downside really that I can see is that there's a credit rating impact. So for two to three years after you finish paying off the proposal, it's going to be noted on your bureau that you did file a consumer proposal. And, you know, the day after, probably no one's going to loan you money. But eventually people do rebuild. People come from bankruptcy to getting a mortgage in two or three years. And a consumer proposal is not as severe as a bankruptcy. Yeah. And yeah, because it looks good. You've, mm-hmm. you've repaid the debt that was negotiated and, and you're good to go. Exactly. Um, and the other part of it, and I don't think this is a con, but it's something that you can't do on your own. You That's have to right. go to a licensed insolvency trustee That's to right. get this done. And there's so yeah. many good pieces and good news about that. Yeah, you don't have to pay any referral fees. You just come straight to a trustee. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the last one, file for personal bankruptcy. And we kind of talked about a little bit about that already. What's the good news about a bankruptcy? Well, and this one is last by by design here because bankruptcy is your last resort. If nothing else works, it's a chance for you to get back to zero. And, you know, the benefit here is bankruptcy gets you out of debt. Just about 100% of debts, now other than the ones that you shouldn't be able to get out of, like child support, spousal support, but just about every other debt gets eliminated as you go through a bankruptcy. And typically bankruptcy, most people that I meet with when I'm explaining the concepts, it takes less time than you think. It costs a whole lot less than you think, and it's less intrusive than you probably would appreciate as well. Um, so in terms of duration, if someone files for bankruptcy, most people think it's a six or seven year term in bankruptcy. No, for 80% of people, it's nine months. They can go from the worst situation, owing a lot of money, to being st- starting again, owing nobody anything for most people in nine months. And for most other people, if they're not low income, about a year longer than that, so inside of two years. And again, you're getting all the services from Sands and Associates. You're getting that counseling and that assistance to move forward. Mm -hmm. Now, the downside of it is... Uh, your credit history, there's an impact on that. Yeah, so that, that's for sure. And what I usually tell people to accept is that, you know, your credit's going to go to zero and you're going to build it back up. So bankruptcy is one of the worst things you can do to your credit other than, you know, just skipping out in your debts or having them repossessed from you. Um, but it's something that you can recover from. So I tell people to, you know, chart out the next five or 10 years. If you keep doing what you're doing, making these minimum payments, you'll have great credit, but you'll still owe whatever the number of the debt is. Uh, if you take your credit to zero, but also your debt to zero, you can rebuild within probably two to three years and be much better off because you can save money again. Now, I also want, we've got just about 20 seconds left here about the debt options calculator. Yeah, so thanks for highlighting that, Elaine. So anybody listening, if they go to our website, sands-trustee.com, you can put in the amount of debt that you have and click calculate, and it's going to show you everything from a consolidation loan, paying the debt off in full, doing a consumer proposal, or filing a bankruptcy based on your income and the situation. So it's not perfect for all situations, but it will be directionally accurate for our listeners to check. Excellent. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. If you want more information, the website again, sands-trustee.com. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. I'm pretty sure that this is true, that so many people fear bankruptcy is going to mean losing 
everything, like all of your assets. Mm -hmm. But I love this idea that it's different here in this country. Filing a bankruptcy in Canada actually provides protection of your assets. And I think that's just a really great um, sort of turnaround Mm -hmm. of the fear that people have. In actual fact, it's not. It's a protection. Yeah, totally counterintuitive. And it's funny too, Elaine, because I think the first time when I told my parents, okay, I'm going to be starting to work into bankruptcy, personal bankruptcy individuals, they said, but they have no money. How do you ever get paid? And yeah. so there's a lot of, you know, logical assumptions that we make that if you go into bankruptcy, you lose everything, everything gets taken from you, where the opposite is usually more true. Okay, so let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. How does filing a bankruptcy stop creditors from coming after my stuff? Yeah, so where bankruptcy protects you is as soon as you sit down with a trustee and you make an assignment into bankruptcy, there's what's called a stay of proceedings. And that's an important legal term. And what it means is whatever proceedings were happening, meaning you know court actions, collection activities, asset seizures, things like that, they're all stayed, which means they have to stop. Essentially, everything just freezes in place as soon as you file for bankruptcy. So again, if someone has decided to take you to court for a credit card bill um, and they're on the courthouse steps and you decide to file for bankruptcy, essentially that court proceeding becomes null and void. It's unimportant. They're back on every other path on the same footing as if they hadn't sued you. If you're in a bankruptcy, everything gets dealt with by the trustee. Okay, now this is a bit of a curveball. Mm-hmm. What if what if some of my stuff has already been taken back? Mm, well, then that depends. So okay. um, it depends on if it was seized under the right security interest. Uh-huh. Um, you know, if you had a vehicle that you couldn't afford and you stopped making the payments on it and they come and take the vehicle from you, doesn't sound like there's anything improper there. They had the right to come and take the vehicle. You might be able to pay something to redeem it, but usually if it's a vehicle, for example, you were probably underwater on that debt anyway, which means the vehicle might have been worth $5,000 and you owed $15,000 or $20,000 on it. So usually if you let something be seized from you, it might be something you didn't want to get back anyway. Okay. Uh, But every situation is a little bit different. Right, but you'll help me navigate that in any event. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, and then one other important thing too is is in a bankruptcy, a bankruptcy will protect you from unsecured creditors. So this is, you know, your credit cards, student loans, income taxes, and things like that. Okay. Um, if your mortgage is going into default, filing a bankruptcy won't stop that because okay. as a secure debt, you've still got to find a way to pay that mortgage or the creditors have the right to, to do something with the house. Okay. Now, quite often, people are behind on their mortgage because they're dealing with all of their other debts. And we're going to talk more about houses as we go through, um, but it's not an automatic thing that you would lose your house in bankruptcy. It's possible, but most people do keep their houses. Okay. So that's an important yeah, we'll piece. we'll come back to that. Yeah. So bankruptcy stops creditors. Great. Mm-hmm. Then what happens? Well, and bankruptcy actually protects your assets as we talk about because there are provincial laws and there's a public policy objective here and that the whole point of bankruptcy is to give you a fresh start. So the law says it's a fresh start for the honest but unfortunate person um, that finds themselves in debt. So the whole idea of starting fresh is you need to have something, right? So uh, what type of a situation would it be if suddenly someone's a craftsman and I take all of their tools if they file for bankruptcy? Someone needs to drive for work to work and I take their car if they file for bankruptcy. Doesn't make any sense. Uh, someone saved, you know, 20 years for their retirement. I take all their RRSPs and they file for bankruptcy. Bankruptcy. Yeah. All you've done is create somebody that's going to be destitute in their later years. So I think there's a great number of exemptions, especially in the province of BC, that for most people that I see, it covers all of their assets. So let's go through those in detail here. Yeah. So, so the, the, your household goods and mm-hmm. effects, right? Does that include the house or is that just what's in the house? Just what's in the okay, house. Let's so basically start there. everything that's not nailed down, so okay. to speak. So, you know, your furniture, um, your appliances, your 
your uh, chattels, you know, your different things like that. Clothing is separate, so we'll, we'll oh, okay. talk about that. Uh, but basically anything that's in, that's in your house, um, you're allowed an exemption and it's up to $4,000. And you might say, well, of course I got more than $4,000 in my house. You should see my insurance declarations and all that. <laughs> and but, what you paid for it, and you still you got the bills. It, right? But that's at a replacement cost and that's not what we care about in a bankruptcy. I care about what could you get if you had a garage sale? You know, if you put this out in your lawn, you might have just bought the couch a year ago for $1,000. We've seen garage sales, I hope, and usually things will go for $25, $50. Exactly. People will bargain down for a dollar to 75 cents. Yeah, just uh, to get it out of exactly. their yard. So I have never had a client who's had more than $4,000 of household goods. Okay. Now, most of the time, if people had, you know, the grand piano or, you know, the Van Gogh on the wall or things like that, those are the first things to get sold if someone's in debt. Right. But basic home furnishings, you know, um, household furniture, personal goods around your house, up to a $4,000 value at a garage sale. And I don't know many $4,000 garage sales. I like that you mentioned a Van Gogh because if you've got a Van Gogh, you're in pretty good shape. Yeah, you're not my client typically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Maybe a print. I've got one of those too, but yeah, there you go. that's about it. Yeah. There you go. Okay. So what about your vehicle or equity in your vehicle? Yeah. So a vehicle, it's exempt up to $5,000 and that's either the value of the vehicle if there's no loan against it or the equity. So if you've got a financed vehicle, almost always, as we talked about, there's negative equity, which means you will probably owe more than what the car is worth. Worth. And if that's the case, if you file for bankruptcy, you can keep the car if you want to keep making the payments, which many people do want to do that. Or you could decide, hey, I owe more than what this car is worth. I want to return it back to the lender and get myself a different vehicle. That's right. fine. If you were in a situation where maybe the car is almost paid off, you're allowed the first $5,000 of equity in the vehicle. So what that means is if the car is worth $10,000, there's a loan against it for $3,000. The loan, uh, sorry, the value minus the loan is your equity. So basically you've got a $7,000 net worth in the car. If you were to file for bankruptcy, the first $5,000 is free and clear. After that, you're supposed to pay the difference, the $2,000 to the trustee. Okay. So if an asset is worth more than the exempt value, so let's say those household goods, if you had more than $4,000, if you had $5,000, you'd pay the extra $1,000. If your vehicle had $7,000 of equity instead of $5,000, you'd pay the extra $2,000. But the vast majority of cases, if someone's got an older vehicle, it's going to be worth less than $5,000. They keep it. They don't have to pay anything for it. And most vehicles that are financed have negative equity, so there's no issue with them. Okay. Now, it's a little bit different if you're behind on your child or spouse support payments for yeah. your car. Yeah, they lower that exemption to $2,000 if you are behind, if there's a family maintenance enforcement action against you. So that happens rarely. And it's just, again, it's to make people take care of those family type of maintenance debts. They are the most important. And these are provincial laws that are in exactly. place to protect you. Yeah, they change province to province, but all through BC, this is what applies. Okay. Home equity. Mm-hmm. How does that work? Yeah. So you're allowed up to $12,000 of equity for anybody on title in the greater Vancouver or Victoria area and $9,000 of equity anywhere else in the province. So this means if you had a house worth, let's say $500,000, for example, uh, if the mortgage on that was $490,000, you've got $10,000 of equity. If you were to file for bankruptcy, the trustee would look at that and say, well, the first $12,000 is considered exempt. So the trustee would have no claim on that house whatsoever. Okay. If there were two or three people on title, each person is entitled to the $12,000 equity exemption before the trustee has to consider anything about equity in the house. So because I'm not very good at math, I'm mm-hmm. going to ask the question, I've got a $500,000 home, yep. but I owe $400,000 on it yep. still. Then what? What kind of situation does that put me yeah. in? Yeah. So what you do is you'd sit down with the trustee and you do all this before you filed for bankruptcy because you might want to try a proposal instead, but we'll go, we'll go through that. Okay. Um, but we look at, we get a market evaluation 
for the place and assuming it's worth 500, we get a mortgage statement assuming that's at 400. So there's $100,000 of notional equity. The courts have given us some methods to calculate what the actual equity would be because we have to consider uh, if you were to sell the place, there'd be some legal costs, there'd be some realtor costs, there'd be GST, um, maybe an appraisal fee, different things like that. So we take all of those costs off and let's say those might be $20,000, for example. So we start at 500, you know, now we're down to 480 or so. So there's $80,000 of equity. For each person on title, the first $12,000 would be exempt. Anything beyond that, the person would have to arrange to pay that in to the bankruptcy. Okay. Um, or the house could be sold during the bankruptcy and the person would get paid out their $12,000 of equity. Okay. All right. So even if they had a ton of debt, even if they were going to sell the house outside of bankruptcy, let's say there's that $100,000 of equity, Elaine, um, and they have $150,000 of debt, if they sell that house outside of bankruptcy, they got to give all the proceeds to their creditors and they still owe more money, right? If they sell the house in bankruptcy, the trustee pays to them directly $12,000 exemption, regardless of the amount of the debt. So they can be so much better off if it was sold in a bankruptcy. And that's, again, the advantage of doing that, of, of doing this work with a licensed insolvency trustee, because you can help me figure out all the different possible solutions and the best one to take. Yeah. And I think people have an idea that, you know, trustees are a lot more active in selling houses than we are. Um, I work in the Vancouver and Langley offices primarily, and it's maybe one a year, two a year, and we do a ton of clients through the, or we see a ton of clients through the door. So sure. uh, it's pretty rare that people have to sell a house through bankruptcy. Usually the house is already mortgaged to the hilt. There's very little equity um, or the house has been sold because they're trying to pay their debts already. Got it. Um, now, RRSPs, and we've mentioned this a number of times mm-hmm. on the show, it's just so important. Yeah, this word seems to be getting out more and more. So congrats to all our listeners. I'm hearing fewer and fewer people who are coming and saying, hey, I just cashed in my RRSPs to pay debt. Didn't I do a great thing? Mm. No, the answer is your RRSP is 100% protected for anything that's been there that more than, more than 12 months. It's only your last 12 month of contributions could ever be at risk if you filed the bankruptcy. Otherwise, what you have in RRSPs, you'll emerge after the bankruptcy with all of that intact. Good. Uh, clothing and medical stuff. Yeah. AIDS, I guess. Yes, yeah, so we were talking about you know your furniture and clothing and things like that. So where furniture has a bit of a limitation, uh, clothing, there's no limitation. Whatever you have and whatever you need for a medical condition, if it could be a wheelchair, a CPAP, a special van, things like that, um, those could be of an unlimited value as well. Okay. Work tools, really mm-hmm. important that, they, that I don't lose those. Yeah, the whole point is that you can recover and start to earn income as well. So you're allowed up to $10,000 of tools of the trade. And again, that's actually kind of a Craigslist value. What could you sell these tools for not? What would you have to rec- um, repay them? And that's an important part uh, part of that to remember. Mm-hmm. So uh, anything else you want to mention with these things? I know that uh, that the assets are sometimes worth more than the allowances, yeah. but to to sit down with you and figure that out, I think is the, is the key message, right? Yeah, no, that, that's exactly right, Elaine. So everyone's situation, especially when they have assets, that's what they're most concerned about is, you know, what's going to happen to them. And we'll be as crystal clear as we can, show you how the law will apply. A couple key questions that I get, you know, one of them um, is what happens to your mortgage if you're in bankruptcy? So let's say you're in that situation where the house is worth 500, the mortgage is 490. So the trustee is taking no action against the house because there's less than the exempt amount of equity. Right. Um, you know, you filing for bankruptcy does not automatically mean that the bank's going to call your mortgage. Almost everyone that I've seen, I'm trying to think of any, I have not seen a single case where someone was forced out of their house just because they filed for bankruptcy. If you're up to date on your mortgage, um, you know, 
know, even renewing the mortgage, typically, even if you're within a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal, I wouldn't be renegotiating things. But if you sign the renewal notice and send it back, most banks don't even do a credit check when you're renewing mortgages. So typically, as long as you pay the mortgage, even if you're in a bankruptcy, you won't be forced out of the house. No, and, and if your head is just swimming with all this information, <laughs> and it's a lot of information that we've covered in the last, what is it, 10 minutes or so, um, the best thing is to come and see you and sit mm-hmm. down and say, this is my situation. Uh, have as much information as possible for you. Yeah, we've got 16 offices in the province. You know, the more information that you can bring in, the more you know, more specific um, advice we can give to you, or even just give a call, ask a few questions. I spend a lot of time on the phone just answering basic questions and giving people some guidance. Uh, it's really the free consultation is really where we're able to add the most value. So we encourage clients to come in and meet with us. And if you are hesitating to take that first step, check out their website, sands-trustee.com. And I only mention it because it's so thorough. There's so many questions and answers. It's such a good resource. And the best bet, of course, is to give them a call, 1-800-661-3030 for that first meeting and to find an office near you. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So, and I think this is a really great segment because we, we, we don't throw the term around, but we use the term a lot in the show, licensed insolvency trustee. Mm-hmm. And and I know that, that people can go, what? what? What did they just say? What's that? Yeah. And it's... And it's not a, well, it's sort of a new term, right? Yeah, last two to three years. Yeah. Two to three years. Yeah. So you're not completely out of it by not knowing what it means, but mm-hmm. it's been around for a bit. So let's talk about why and what happens when I go to your office to meet you. Yeah, so why does somebody come and see a licensed insolvency trustee? Well, there's a myriad of reasons. It's almost the same number of reasons of why people get into debt. You know, usually things were going great and then something happened. So, you know, maybe somebody got sick, uh, maybe they lost their job, or quite often a relationship broke down marriage or common law, and that can be very expensive. So normally comes someone comes in to see an LIT when they're facing a financial crisis in their life. You know, quite often collection, collectors are calling, um, you know, maybe their wages are being threatened to being seized, or maybe some assets are at risk. So it's often when people just feel like they don't know where to turn, uh, but they know they've got a debt problem that seems insurmountable, that's the right time to make a call to an LIT. Now, lots of people think that if I'm going to see a licensed insolvency trustee, emphasis insolvency, Mm-hmm. I'm going in to file for bankruptcy. Yeah. And that's not necessarily the case. No, and that's why a lot of people suffer so long in silence. And it's uh, two years is typically what people tell me is from when they knew they had a problem, they knew they needed some help, to when they finally walked in my door. And when I asked them why, it's a lot of fear and it's a lot of misunderstanding. So for two-thirds of people that see me, we don't file a bankruptcy. We file a consumer proposal instead. And most of those people that came in that end up filing proposals, they didn't even know that solution existed until they walked in the door, they essentially accepted, okay, I'm going to be bankrupt. This is going to be the worst day of my life. And then I'm able to show them another alternative um, just in even that, that first meeting. Okay. So how do I, how do I find you? Like, mm-hmm. how do I go and see you? 
Yeah. Do you need a referral? Do you have to work through anybody yeah. like that? Does somebody and, need to send me to you? And yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and the answer is it's as easy as, you know, you look up online in the phone book, whatever works to connect directly with a trustee. There's no middleman that you ever need. So a lot of the times people will, they'll go to your, their accountant or their, um, their lawyer or a family friend, or sometimes even if you can believe a Canada Revenue Agency is a great referral source for us because they'll say to somebody, you know, I don't want to have to continue to collect like this. I know you've got to provide for your family, but I've got to go and try to take these payments from you. Why don't you go see a licensed insolvency trustee because it's regulated, it's safe and all of that. What you need to really guard against is paying somebody. So you don't need to pay an advisor. You don't need to pay a consultant. You don't need to pay anybody else to get a consumer proposal or to file a bankruptcy. You just need to come to see a trustee directly. Because in actual fact, a consumer proposal, if that's what if that's what you're thinking is going to assist you, nobody but a licensed insolvency trustee can negotiate the terms for that. That's right. Regardless Regardless of what anybody tells you, yeah. nobody can except for the thousand or so in this country that mm-hmm. do that work. That's right. And I see so many um, you know, different consultants or individuals and they pop up all the time and I can tell what they're advertising as a consumer proposal. And I know for certain that I'm a trustee and I can file it and they can't. Um, but I know there will be a bunch of fees that'll be charged to an individual who sees them for help. And then eventually they'll get introduced to some trustee who will do the same proposals they would have done if the person had walked in off the street. Oh. But the person might have spent, you know, a low over a few hundred to a high of a few thousand dollars thinking that they had to pay an extra professional, you don't. You can come straight to a trustee. Okay. So what happens now? I know that that what we what we say when we introduce the segments is that there's a free consultation. Yeah. Make the appointment. I'm going to come and see you. And uh, it's it's really an information session. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the first meeting, it's an informal consultation, as you said, Elaine. And people still do have a lot of fear because they don't know what they're walking into. No. Um, they don't know if they're going to be judged. They don't know if it's going to be someone looking down their nose across the table saying, well, gee, how could you be so stupid to be in that situation? I'd never do that. And it's it's nothing like that. So a free consultation, uh, it's a person-to-person conversation. So at Sands & Associates, our ethos is we treat everybody as if they were a close member of our family with the same level of compassion and respect. So when someone comes in off the... through the door to see me, I ask, you know, how's your day going and what brings you in here today? And usually that's all I need to say is what brings you in to start to hear exactly how much debt is impacting their life. And sometimes it's a 10-year journey of, you know, a business has failed and they did the best they could. Sometimes it's very fresh. They've just been sued a couple days ago and now their wages are going to be taken. But in that first consultation, we book it for about an hour, usually 45 minutes to an hour. We try to cover about four big areas and they're all very logical things. So if anyone's thinking about a consultation, here's the main questions I'm going to ask. So, you know, first off, let's talk about the debts. So who do you owe money to and approximately how much? And if you don't know that, then we'll help you, you know, try to pull a credit report or, or get some information, but usually it's a good idea to have a bit of a sense of who you owe money to. Uh, we're going to talk about your assets because if there's a case, you've got you know, a house with no mortgage and you only owe a few thousand dollars, which never happens. No one comes in like that, but <laughs> then I'll explain to you, here's how you can use some assets to pay down debts and then you'll be, you'll be better off. Um, so we talk about your debt, talk about your assets, and then we talk about your monthly budget. So we want to understand what are the sources of income in the household, who lives at home, what are the obligations, just to figure out what is the ability to service debt because you've got to live first. You've got to pay rent, you've got to pay groceries, all of that, and there's got to be enough money there to serve 
service debt, um, or else what, what are we doing here, right? Exactly. So we want to find a solution that's really going to help the person move forward, that's going to fit into their budget. And everybody's a little bit different. Their situation, their circumstance is a little bit different. I also wanted to throw in, we've met a lot of, uh, by doing this show, we've met a lot of the folks that work for us at, for Sands and Associates, and, mm-hmm. and each of them is just, you know, thoughtful and kind and really just wanting to give you a hand with whatever it is you need a hand with. Yeah. Um, so if you don't get to see Blair, don't worry, because there's a whole bunch of people that are awesome that oh, work yeah. for the company. And, and thank you for that, Elaine. Yeah, there are people that are as good or better than me in the firm who've even been doing the work for longer than me. And I think it, it's a job you can't last in this unless you genuinely care about people, you genuinely care about their story and about their situation. Uh, if you're just in this to, you know, to try to do rapid fire, get people in and out, people will feel that and they won't come back. Exactly. So we've been very successful because we look at the entire person, the entire situation. If we've got the solution, great. If we don't, then we'll help you find the, the person that does. Now, what are the some of, some of the solutions that you talk with a prospective uh, person coming in the door? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we'll run through the gamut depending on the size of the problem and, and what their objectives are. You know, we'll talk about, can you negotiate with the creditors informally? If it's one or two people you owe money to, can you work out some terms that'll help you, you know, avoid having to use us, but can give you a bit of breathing room? Uh, we'll talk to them about debt consolidation, which we cover on a few segments to, to various shows here about where that could be an option, but it can be difficult to qualify for, and it can also drive some bad behaviors. So you got to be careful. Uh, we talk about consumer proposals and personal bankruptcy in quite a bit of depth. I would say everybody that comes in to us, if we've got enough information, you'll leave with a, basically a quote of what a bankruptcy would look like if you chose to go forward and what a consumer proposal could look like. We can put all that together if you give us the right information, even in the first meeting. Now, what about um, some other tips when it comes to sort of this is more the human side of it that mm-hmm. you uh, that you want to give folks if, yeah. they ha- if they're putting off coming in to see you? Yeah, the number one thing that, that people say is I have nobody that calls me and I've been doing this work for 13 years. I don't think I've ever gotten a call of someone who regretted filing a consumer proposal or sometimes people regret filing a bankruptcy and wish they had filed a proposal. But everyone that I speak to seems to regret waiting so long. Why did I suffer for so long? Why did I not know what was going on? Why did I listen to collectors? Why did I, you know, cash in my RRSPs or borrow from friends and family? There's a bunch of mistakes that people can make along the way if they procrastinate and they don't get the information from the right source right up front. And part of that comes from anxiety, from feeling of shame, embarrassment, all of that. Mm -hmm. And you guys put that all to rest. Yeah, I'd say people within the first two or three minutes of sitting down with us, they'll realize the shame was left at the door. The judgment never entered our office here. We're just people looking for a solution. And part of the, the, that piece is meeting them in person. And yeah. you, make that a, you make that a significant piece and that's of a, this process. That's a huge differentiator between a trustee and somebody else who's not licensed, an advisor or a credit counselor. A lot of the reason why people go to credit counselors or to advisors is because they will do things over the phone. And it can be daunting that you have to come in face-to-face and, and you know literally face somebody and talk about your problem. The law requires that a trustee sees you in person. You cannot file a consumer proposal or file a bankruptcy unless you meet the trustee in person. All the other informal options, they might be more comfortable, but you're going to end up with a worse outcome. So um, I know it can be tough. And if, if you can put any faith in what we're saying on the program here, it's genuine. We don't judge. You come in for that first meeting, you will not regret sitting down and starting to get some help. And you may come up with a whole bunch of questions that you hadn't thought of before mm-hmm. when you're in that conversation to, to take a look at it all and start. Listen, if any of this information is resonating with you or or for someone you know. Uh, give Sands and Associates, well, first of all, go to the website, sands-trustee.com. It's fabulous. There's tons of questions and answers there. 
and give them a call, 1-800-661-3030, and get that first free consultation as well. Find an office near you. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. <laughs> and Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.